So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do each week, wherever we have gathered together in your name to be here with us in this place. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but I remember vividly that it was the first time I had ever had a big, soft pretzel served with a warm chocolate dip. For some reason, I was a little skeptical, afraid to order it, hesitant to try it. But then, once I tasted it, well, you can only imagine. I've tried to organize my life around chocolate-dipped pretzels ever since. (laughs) But the chocolate-dipped pretzel is not the only thing that I remember about that restaurant. Almost as prevalent in my mind is the conversation that I had with my friends that afternoon. They were Lisa and David, and we were talking about Jonah. Was it important, we wondered, to believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish to be a Christian? Could it be allegory or some kind of poem What about Adam and Eve, we thought? Did they have to be actual, literal, historical figures for the good news from God and Jesus Christ to be true? But it was Jonah that took up most of our conversational time. All three of us, I think, were a little bit embarrassed about what we considered to be a pretty silly story. A man swallowed by a fish surviving three days in its belly and then vomited out alive. We were embarrassed by it and looking for a way to believe what we considered to be the big thing, Jesus' saving death on the cross for our sins, without having to believe such a disconcerting little thing. And it seems like we weren't the only ones who are embarrassed, you'll note that our assigned reading this morning begins in Jonah chapter 3 with the words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's how we're going to start the story of Jonah, a second time. I can almost hear the designers of the lectionary in what I imagine to be a dark, smoky room. You know, they say, as they check their pocket watches and smoke their cigars. If we start reading in Jonah 3, we can skip that whole swallowed by a fish business. And in what's called the revised common lectionary, a lectionary that's used by the Catholic Church, the United Methodist Church, two main Lutheran churches, and the Episcopal Church, among many others, in that lectionary, that's just what they did. Nothing from the first two chapters of Jonah appears. Now, to its credit, our ACNA lectionary does include Jonah's prayer from inside the fish, which we'll get to in a minute. But explaining away or trying to ignore the supposedly silly or unbelievable parts of the story is certainly the prevailing project 
in the more progressive corners of Christianity today. And it has been for some time. Anything that we don't like or seems unrealistic is called imagery, allegory, symbolism, or poetry. Or we just leave it out altogether. And I understand the impulse. I am worried about Jonah too. But let me suggest to you that if we can't believe that a man was swallowed by a fish, why would we believe that another one could be raised from the dead? If God can't anoint a whale to do his miraculous bidding, how could he bear the sins of the world? God must be God and able to do anything. Or else maybe he can't do anything. So with that in mind, let's go back to Jonah chapter 1 and look at everything that happens to this poor, unfortunate man. So in our reading this morning, again, from chapter 3, God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh and proclaim God's message of repentance. Turn from your wicked ways. Believe in the good news. Jonah goes, Nineveh repents, and God spares them. He holds back the judgment that he promised, and everyone seems to live happily ever after. The first time, though, that God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh to call them to the repentance of their sins, Jonah's answer is quite different than it is in our reading. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah does go to the port. And Jonah does get on a boat, but he gets on a boat going the other way. This is, of course, not without repercussion. As Jonah is on the ship sailing away from Nineveh, God sends a great storm after him. The storm threatens to sink the ship, and Jonah realizes what's going on. He is being judged. His faithlessness, his disobedience is being condemned. His sin has caused the storm. He's the reason the ship is about to sink, so he tells the other sailors to pick him up and throw him into the sea. In chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah says, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And the moment Jonah is thrown into the sea, the storm Stops. But does Jonah drown? No. Something extraordinary happens. Something that at that table around those chocolate dipped pretzels, my friends and I were desperate to get around. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. To swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days 
and three nights. Now look, you can see why so-called progressive or enlightened Christians avoid this story and why anyone might want to, because this is ridiculous, right? A great fish, three days and three nights, and it only gets worse after that. After Jonah spends chapter 2 praying in the belly of the fish, the prayer that's included in our ACNA lectionary, we get this verse in chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thanks for that image. Isn't it funny, though, that we're so resistant to this aspect of the story? It must be allegory, right? Or, or metaphor, something, some kind of poetry, But we're Christians. We are miracle people. This is a story about the mercy of Almighty God. A story about the mercy of the same God who spoke to Moses through a bush that was burning but not consumed. A story about the mercy of the same God who brought his people out of slavery in Egypt but not around a sea, through it. On dry land. This is a story about the mercy of a God who was beaten, scourged, executed on a Roman cross, laid in a tomb, and then who rose from the dead on the third day. Surely, a God such as that can appoint and speak to a great fish. Because here's the truth. We need a God. Such as that. We need a God to do the very thing that Jonah objected to in the first place. To send a messenger with good news to a sinful and rebellious people. If our God can't create and assign a fish to swallow a man and spit him back out again. How can we trust him to bear the weight of our sin? And then to, in return, give us his own righteousness and call us his good and faithful children. We need a God who can and will do all manner of things that we find unbelievable. This is the God that we need. Because that's what's going on here. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and reintroduce them to him. The people of Nineveh have forgotten God. They become rebellious sinners, and God wants to get them back. So he tells Jonah to go and tell them to repent and be reconciled to him. And what does Jonah say? In effect, he says, and we'll, we'll see how he really says this even after the fact, he says, no way, God, they don't deserve it. In chapter 4, after our reading, after the fish, after Nineveh has repented and been spared, Jonah is still mad about it. He prays, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster. Do you hear what Jonah is saying? This is why I ran away. 
because I knew you were a gracious God and you would forgive those terrible sinners. Jonah is angry that God is choosing to show mercy and to love those who don't deserve it. He says, I told you, God, I told you. I knew you would forgive those Ninevites. I didn't want you to forgive those Ninevites. And now you've gone and done it. And this is why Jonah, the first time God comes to him, runs the other way. He's so human. He doesn't want God to save sinners. He only wants God to come to those Jonah thinks deserve it. And so God has to show Jonah, and by extension us, the truth. And to do it, he speaks into Jonah's life in these two profound ways. These same two words of God that we've been talking about for weeks. And we'll find ourselves talking about week by week and month by month and year by year. God speaks words of commandment and words of promise. First, the commandment. Do what I tell you. And if you don't, there will be consequences. Disobedience deserves judgment. Jonah, at least at first, gets the judgment that he wants God to give to Nineveh. God sends a storm to judge Jonah's faithlessness and his disobedience. There will be no running away from God. We can, like Jonah, try to run and hide, but God will always find us. God is not mocked, and sin, under this first word of God, gets punished. So God sends a storm, and Jonah is thrown overboard. This is bad news for faithless and disobedient sinners everywhere. And for those of us who see echoes of Jonah's behavior in ourselves, hearing the word of the Lord and running the other way, this is bad news for us. But of course, the word of the commandment is not the last word. The word of the commandment is never the last word because finally, in the midst of the disobedience and even in the midst of the judgment that is poured out on the disobedience, We have the word of promise. We have good news. God comes to the undeserving. God comes to the disobedient. God appoints a great fish to come and save Jonah. God sends Jonah with a message of repentance for Nineveh. It's in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays to God, saying... (coughs) I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Yet... You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, 
I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is our prayer. When we are caught out like Jonah, found to be living our lives in open rebellion against God, going in the exact opposite direction from the one he's called us to, when we find ourselves living in the pit, waters closing in over us to take our lives, the deep surrounding us, weeds wrapped around our heads, then we pray with Jonah. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is praying this from the belly of a fish. There could have been no salvation more strange to him. No more unexpected way for God to save him. And yet God has saved him. Salvation, he says, belongs to the Lord. Salvation does not belong to us who, like Jonah, would carefully dole it out only to the deserving. Salvation belongs to God who gives it freely to sinners. As we close, look with me, if you would, in your leaflet at the collect assigned for today, the opening prayer of the service. It's right at the beginning. Here's what we prayed. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, remember that prayer. Give us grace, O Lord to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. Now remember, with that in mind, how Jonah 3 starts. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Sounds good, right? Obedience. But now remember where Jonah is when he hears these words. Jonah is on a beach, drenched to the bone, having just been vomited out of the mouth of a great fish. He has seen God's two words in action. He has seen the power and commandment of God condemn him and then seen the power and mercy of the Lord redeem him. And in his redemption, he is moved to obedience. And so we pray, give us that same grace, O Lord, because we cannot do it on our own. To answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ. And proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. His salvation that doesn't belong to us. Remember, we'd give it only to those we thought deserved it. God gives his salvation by grace to the undeserving. This story 
of Jonah is all about God's grace. God's grace for Nineveh, a city of sinful, rebellious people who do not deserve God's love. But God is faithful and sends them a messenger proclaiming repentance and redemption. God's grace for that messenger, Jonah, who resists, who is unfaithful, who is rebellious. But God is faithful and appoints a great fish to save his life and reset him on his mission. God's grace is so powerful that in its saving of the sinner, it actually reorients him and puts him on a path of faithful duty and obedience. We are Nineveh. We are sinful and rebellious. God has sent his messenger, Jesus Christ, who, like Jonah, spent three days in darkness to proclaim by his life, death, and resurrection a message of repentance and redemption. We are also Jonah, annoyed that God has chosen to redeem those who don't deserve it. We run the other way. We are faithless. We are disobedient. But then, even then, in the midst of our disobedience, in the midst of our sin and rebellion, God redeems us. When we were drowning, God is faithful. And his grace comes in the most unexpected and miraculous ways. There is nowhere we can run, no matter how far, that can get us out of the reach of God's saving grace. Nowhere. And then, when we are found by his grace, we are changed forever. Our sin may run far, but God's grace runs farther. These are our Savior Christ's miraculous works. That while we were still sinners, rightly condemned, like Nineveh, like Jonah, he died for us, rescuing us forever, giving us new hearts, resetting us on paths of faithfulness, obedience, and love. And so we pray in Jesus' name, give us grace, O Lord. Give us grace to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.